in unsurpassed, penetrating, and perfect dharma is rarely met with even in a hundred thousand million goblets, having it to see and listen to, to remember and accept. I vow to taste the truth of the Tathagata's words. I'm going to speak this morning about getting rid of all cares and troubles, otherwise known as the Sabasava Sutta. And I'm using the translation from uh, Walpola Rahula's book. I'll read a little bit of the first part of the sutra, and then I want to focus on a couple of sections. Thus I have heard, the Blessed One was once living at the monastery of Anatha Pindika in Jedis Grove near Savati. There he addressed the bhikkhus. Venerable Sir, the Blessed One spoke as follows. Bhikkhus, I will expound to you the method of restraining all cares and troubles. Listen and reflect well. I shall speak to you. Yes, Venerable Sir, they said in response to the Blessed One. The Buddha then spoke as follows. Bhikkhus, I say that the destruction or getting rid of cares and troubles is possible for one who knows and who sees, not for one who does not know and does not see. What must a person know and see in order that the destruction of cares and troubles should be possible? These are wise reflection and unwise reflection. For a person who reflects unwisely, there arise cares and troubles which have not yet arisen. And in addition, those which have already arisen increase. But for one who reflects wisely, cares and troubles which have not yet arisen do not arise, and in addition, those already arisen disappear. So there's wise reflection, which can get rid of cares and troubles, that's what he tells us, and unwise reflection, which can create new cares and troubles and increase the ones we already have, which sounds very familiar to me. i sure I've done that quite a bit. So the Buddha then goes on to list seven ways to get rid of cares and troubles by insight, by restraint, by use, by endurance, by avoidance, by dispersal, and by cultivation. So I'm not going to cover all seven, but uh, I, I am going to look at insight and cultivation, starting with insight. The Buddha said, Bhikkhus, what are the cares and troubles which are to be got rid of by insight? By reflecting on things that should not be reflected on, and by not reflecting on things that should be reflected on, defilements that have not yet arisen arise, and defilements that have already arisen increase. Then one reflects unwisely and unnecessarily in this way. He gives a long list of examples. I'll, I'll give you a handful and you'll get the idea. Did I exist in the past? Did I not exist in the past? How was I in the past? Shall I exist in the future? What shall I be in the future? All of these kind of unanswerable speculative questions. You know, we can speculate about all kinds of things that may or may not have any basis in reality. 
When we reflect unwisely in this way, the Buddha tells us, one of the six false views arises in us. And those are, first one, I have a self. This view arises as true and real. I have no self. This view arises as true and real. By self, I perceive self. This view arises as true and real. By self, I perceive non-self. This view arises as true and real. By non-self, I perceive self. This view arises as true and real. Or a wrong view arises as follows. This myself, which speaks and feels, which experiences the fruits of good and bad actions, now here and now there, this self is permanent, stable, everlasting, unchanging, remaining the same forever and ever. This bhikkhus is what is called becoming enmeshed in views, a jungle of views, a wilderness of views. Bhikkhus, the uninstructed ordinary person, fettered by the fetters of views, does not liberate themselves from birth, aging, and death, from sorrows, lamentations, pains, griefs, despairs. I say that person does not liberate oneself from suffering. So a permanent, stable, everlasting, unchanging self, remaining the same forever and ever. So physically, I know that I'm not unchanging. That's pretty obvious. But there is a tendency to think that something about this life continues. And reflecting unwisely, we can get very attached to ideas and beliefs, which can create confusion and suffering. Unwise reflection can be uh, wishing things that were different from how they are. I could look back at my life, the choices that were made, opportunities missed, feel a lot of regret, Wanting to go back and do things differently, which of course is not possible. That's one of the ways I cause myself trouble, wanting something to be other than it is. One of my red flags that tells me I'm reflecting unwisely is when I don't feel well emotionally. I'm feeling frustrated, irritated, sad, fearful. I generally find that there's some kind of story that I'm telling myself that I might not be entirely conscious of until I start looking. It might be based on additional old stories of not feeling good enough, not feeling worthy. This would be reflecting unwisely, creating grief for myself with one story built off of another, on and on and on. It's totally unnecessary, serves no useful purpose, but that doesn't stop me. I think it's important to notice uh, tendencies like this about ourselves, and uh, it can be useful to have a sense of where stories might come from. But to engage in negative thoughts about ourselves <clears throat> only creates more troubles and cares for ourselves, and probably for those around us. The Buddha goes on to say, by not reflecting on things that should not be reflected on, and by reflecting on things that should be reflected on, the defilements that have not yet arisen do not arise. And in addition, the defilements that have already arisen disappear. Then one reflects wisely. This is dukkha, or suffering. One reflects wisely. This is the arising or cause of dukkha. One reflects wisely. 
This is the cessation of dukkha. One reflects wisely. This is the path leading to the cessation of dukkha. So, of course, he's talking about the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path here. And the Buddha continues, when one reflects wisely in this manner, the three fetters, which are the false idea of self, skeptical doubt, and attachment to observances and rites, these three fall away. I'm not exactly sure what he means by observances and rights, but I think of it as not being so attached to my way of doing things. You're able to step back and see uh, there's other ways that work that other people do and be willing to try a different way of doing something. I think a wise reflection primarily is noticing, noticing what's going on physically and emotionally right now. Is there a storyline? Is there a defensiveness in my tone of voice? Have I been triggered by something someone said? I forget who it uh, was that said, uh, just because someone gives offense doesn't mean I have to take it. So noticing without adding. It's really difficult. Briefly, what the Buddha said, uh, I have to say about cultivation. The Buddha said, bhikkhus, what are the cares and troubles to be got rid of by cultivation? Bhikkhus, a bhikkhu considering wisely, cultivates mindfulness, a factor of enlightenment associated with detachment, with passionlessness, with cessation maturing into renunciation. Considering wisely, one cultivates the investigation of the dharma, energy, a factor of enlightenment, joy, factor of enlightenment, calmness, a relaxation, a factor of enlightenment, concentration, a factor of enlightenment, equanimity, a factor of enlightenment associated with detachment, with passionlessness, with cessation, maturing into renunciation, because if there are any troubles, distresses, and vexations for her when she does not cultivate any of these, those troubles, distresses, and vexations would not be for her when she cultivates them in this manner. Because these are called the cares and troubles which are to be got rid of by cultivation. So he talks about factors of enlightenment, or we could say factors of awakened mind. Uh, so he lists seven things to cultivate your bit of cares and troubles. Mindfulness, which is supported by our daily Investigation of the Dharma, regular study, putting study into practice. Energy, which I think of in association with motivation. It's like, am I really tired? If I'm feeling unmotivated, is there some kind of story going on? And sometimes I'm just tired. Joy, which I mainly think of as a fruit of practice, but it can be cultivated too. It was once pointed out to me that I had kind of a grumpy way of saying good morning. So I'm not a really a morning person, but I could see that it was uh, largely a habit and then I could work on changing it. And I felt better. Calmness or relaxation, kind of similar. Uh, and part of fruit, I think, but also can be cultivated. Concentration, similar. My concentration isn't really that great. 
uh, equanimity. And you know, it can be helpful when we see uh, these traits modeled in other people. So these are the practices to be cultivated in order to get rid of cares and troubles and avoid creating new ones. And it's not always fun. Seeing through stories can be a big relief. They're just stories, whether someone else handed them to us or whether we made them up all on our own. Minds are very subtle. There can be quiet whisperings of stories going on in dark corners of the mind that can be hard to hear or see clearly. And like everything else, the mind's constantly changing, can't be grasped. Uh, linear practice, going from lots of troubles, gradually having fewer troubles, every day is different. But with practice, the overall trend is to create fewer troubles and for them to not last quite as long. So this all strikes me as basic Zen teaching, you know, with let go, let go of thoughts, come back to the present over and over again. And we hear this presented in lots of different ways. This is a little different than when I've heard it when I was reading this. And I find I need to hear these things lots of times over and over again and little by little. Uh, a little bit more sinks in, maybe a little bit more. Maybe put a little bit into practice, even. So I hope that it's helpful hearing, hearing these things that I know you've heard before, probably many times. So maybe some of you could share your ways of working with cares and troubles or any other comments or questions. Uh, Steve? First a comment, then a question. Uh, comment, yeah, it's really difficult. And specifically with stories, I'm sure, I'm sure this is pretty common, but my thing is to identify a story and then say, is it true? And then that becomes a new story about whether it's true or not. So it's hard to stop. It's hard to just notice it. The, the question is, do you have a sense that the Buddha was calling on us to have a different practice during meditation to at least sometimes actually think about the Four Noble Truths? Or because I, I'm not sure if you know what I'm talking about, but you, you said that he was talking about reflect on dukkha, reflect on its ceasing, and reflect on the path. Words to those effects. And, and of course, maybe he meant when you're not sitting in meditation, be sure to keep reflecting on those things. But I'm just wondering what, what you thought about that. Well, I don't know how he uh, is instructing exactly. It's not, not really clear, but, uh, you know, I think of it as, you know, we have our study time and we study these things and we consider them. But when we're doing Zazen, that's not when I would be studying it or thinking about it. Maybe somebody else has some thoughts on that. Uh, Mary? No, not exactly. I just, I, I don't experience that sutra as sounding that Zen. I experience it as sounding much more Nikaya Buddhism uh, or, or Vajra, not Vajra, Vipassana or something like that. What triggered me was the word detachment. As a Mahayana way of, of thinking is, I think, to find non-attachment right in the middle of attachment. I, I saw a wonderful little video the other day 
I don't know, I think somebody posted it on Facebook, but it was a little video documentary called Six Zen Priests. And it was about the six people that Michael Wenger ordained after he left San Francisco Zen Center and started Dragon's Leap in the Sunset District in San Francisco. And so it followed them through the process. And I guess Mel talked to them, had a meeting with them at some point. And one of the things he said was, you were all, I guess they, I think they were all householders in some way and not really monks, though some of them had spent time at Tassajara. At any rate, he said, your job is to find non-attachment in the middle of attachment. That just really struck me because that's what lay practice is. And it's also what most priest practice is. Since very few of us are monks living in monasteries. And I have some trouble with the, the word mindfulness uh, sometimes is often used in a way that sounds like I'm over here, I'm here observing that over there rather than that I'm, I'm it. It is I. So I just have a different take on that sutra. And there's a lot that, that is really useful and, and I question myself, you know, why am I, I haven't stopped yet. And so why am I, why am I sad? And why am I frightened? And why am I this, that, and the other thing when it hasn't happened yet? And it's months and months away. And uh, I, it's just how, sort of how I'm built. And so I just do what, you know, I just work with those emotions and then they, they lighten up. It just really seems to me useful to remember that, especially that, you know, the thing about, about um, what is it, you know, the troubles and sufferings that, that uh, have not yet arisen. Why we, we worry about them and magnify them when we don't even know if it's going to happen or not. I take that to heart. Thank you. Thank you for that. Doc? My trouble is usually about three in the morning when I wake up and start thinking about things. Not on purpose, they just sort of something I'm not looking forward to or something like that. And I know it's my stupid mind making it worse, but I can't help it or I can't stop it. And, you know, I'm laying in bed and I'm following my breath and things, but two minutes later, I'm right there again. So that's something I'm still working on. But it definitely is, uh, it's self-inflicted. I think we're all sort of saying that. And it's something to, um, I like the word cultivate. It sounds to me like you plant a seed and you water and you weed and you take care of and it's kind of a different word for practice in a way. 
So I guess maybe being aware that you're making things worse is, is the first step. And uh, I'm working towards the second step. Thank you. I do the early morning thing sometimes. If there's something in particular coming up, I know that I know what you mean with that. And uh, I guess I think of the word mindfulness kind of like noticing, being mindful of that I'm doing that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm thinking about that again. Cultivation. I like that too, as far as like, it's like setting an intention, noticing that I've got this habit, you know, and it's just a habit. So setting an intention to cultivate something a little different, I think is very useful. Mary? Again, I, I just, I, I must respond. I think that, I imagine we all do that in some way, but my experience and my practice is to uh, turn towards that kind of recurring thing when I'm sort of torturing myself with some chain of thought and ask myself, what is this? What's underneath it? When I do that, it's usually because there's something else that I don't want to be with, something unpleasant. Years ago, it was a particular example, I was angry with somebody and hurt by them and didn't feel I had a right to be those things because they, they didn't do it on purpose. And was awake all night worrying about ancient stuff in the past or why did I do that or how did that happen? Or, and, um, and then as I learned more about it with my therapist, I, I understood that it was that I was punishing myself for thinking bad thoughts about this person instead of just letting myself feel what I felt because I was disappointed. I was hurt. She stood me up. Anyway, so that's my very much my practice is to not to just turn, you know, say, no, that's a, that's not a useful train of thought that for, for does not work for me. And I'll be right back there. So if I can, and I don't necessarily get an answer either, and it doesn't always work, but but that's my practice is to turn towards it and ask what what's underneath this, what's this about, which may have may have absolutely, you know, it, nothing to do with the particular uh, train of thought that I have gotten onto. I just get onto that when I. Um, it's a it's a it's a great way to distract myself. Thank you. Here, take it away. No, I, I no, I agree. It's it's very useful to know, especially when it's for a repetitive theme, you know, having a sense of where does that come from. Yeah. But it's also easy for me to just start going on and on and on and on and on about it, too. Welcome yeah. to the club. <laughs> you know, oh, good. At a certain point, it's not necessarily useful. It can be kind of like, you know, just spending a lot of time there. It's very useful to know where things are coming from. Well, Support. I'm not even talking about that particular. I'm saying what it, what's underneath it. I mean, I was I was kept by thinking about other cases and trials and things like that. Not, and it was just gener my mind was just generating self-destructive and self-critical thoughts. But it, 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 I didn't. I wasn't thinking about this friend on the Navajo reservation who stood me up, but wasn't thinking about her at all. So it, it was the, the uh, avoiding the um, emotion that felt, 
wrong to me. You know, I felt I felt guilty, I guess, about feeling that way about somebody who I knew. You know, this was before cell phones and all. I knew she had good reason, and I. But anyway, so I thought Kate had her. There she goes. I think you're you're muted. Sorry about that. What you said about uh, the storyline, how that storyline gets going, and that being a way of suffering is really true. And I think that's what we've all kind of been talking about when our minds are going on at three in the morning or we're over worrying something. And then the other part you said about cultivation, I've been starting each morning saying to myself, Today, I want to dedicate myself to being generous, open-hearted, and kind for the benefit of all beings. I had a little card next to my bed because it took a while, but now it's just when I wake up, that's what comes into my mind. The tricky part is when I judge myself for not being generous, open-hearted, and kind. So there's judgment or a I'm not a good Buddhist if I'm not this, or I'm instead of what Mary always says and just said again about the body, if I'm just in that moment, the judgment goes away somehow. I mean, it, it, dissolves, the, it dissolves the judging part of it. I, I got some really bad news that my sister-in-law, who was married to my brother who died just last year and who was even after they were divorced, very devoted to making sure he was okay for a number of reasons. I was just angry. I was so angry. And... Excuse me, what about your sister-in-law? She's very ill. She's very ill. And she's in a lot of pain physically. And this was gonna be her time. And I was so angry and and I caught myself thinking about that dedication I made in the morning. And what was good was that I thought, well, I need to be open hearted with myself and I'm angry. And just letting myself feel that fully eased it. it it was it was kind of amazing really so i don't have to have a judgment anger just arises i don't have to punch sunny because i'm angry <laughs> or kick the dog or or whatever but just to have it was a real I don't want to say positive experience, but it was different. And it's different than thinking my way out of it or trying to make up a new story. It was just, it was an experience and it wasn't purely mental or physical. It was all one thing. And that seemed to ease the suffering a little bit for me. So... I think that's the best I can explain it. But it seemed related to, to two things, the cultivation of, 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 of a habit, I guess, and um, that supported something, you know, 
in the course of my daily round. Oh, thank you for that. That's a wonderful example to share. Thank you. That's it. Thank you. Thank you very much, Liam. You, you, you triggered us all, which was really useful. Beings are numberless. I vow to save them. Delusions are inexhaustible. I vow to rend them. Dharma gates are boundless. I vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable. I vow to become it. Beings are numberless. I vow to save them. Delusions are inexhaustible. I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless. I vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable. I vow to become it. Beings are numberless. I vow to save them. Delusions are inexhaustible. I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless. I vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable. I vow to become it.